0: This is the Small Town Youth Ministry Podcast, Episode 13 Youth Prison Visitations. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Kyle Creel and today I will be your host as we discuss a new youth ministry situation. It's the mission of this podcast to encourage and equip rural and small church youth workers by talking about the issues as you experience them. We know there are several great youth ministry podcasts out there, but sometimes the advice given in them isn't one size fits all. And in today's subject matter particularly, I've noticed a particular particular occurrence happening more frequently in rural areas. See, if you ask me what my top three hardest to receive phone calls are that I've had in ministry, I would say they would be runaways, suicides, and arrests. And on that last one, I've had a strange experience. Growing up in the suburbs and even assisting with youth ministry in the suburbs, I knew there were plenty of instances of kids getting arrested for vandalism and intoxicated driving. But after I moved to a rural setting, I began to have a rise in phone calls unlike any I had had before. And there are family members who would contact me on behalf of a teen that was arrested for rape. In fact, the number of young men that I've been asked to speak with that are being charged with sexual assault is greater than the number of calls I've received from families about runaways and suicides combined. Now, as a disclaimer, this might not be true of your community, but I believe that sexual sin is an ever-rising issue as culture continues to normalize deviance and self-gratification. And I have reason to suppose that those in rural ministry will more likely experience a case of you being asked to speak to someone in this situation than those who are more suburban areas. So let me explain. Let's talk about what causes this in a small community. I believe there's a silent trend building that you wouldn't expect out of the wholesomeness of a small town. However, there is data that makes quite a bit of sense to this. One thing I've researched recently was a report from the National Online Resource Center of Violence Against Women. They did a study at the turn of the millennia and calling it the Sexual Assault in Rural Communities Study. They reported that due to several reasons, including local services being extremely limited or non-existent to victims, geographic isolation, and also the likelihood of knowing your aggressor because of small community dynamics, It's very unlikely that a victim of sexual violence in a rural community will report an incident to the police. Now, a personal held theory of mine is that this type of culture makes it easy for the mind of a predator to develop the idea that their behavior will go unchallenged and can be repeated. Now, in the decade prior, there was research done by the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Rape. And they did a series of inquiries into records in the 90s about sexual assault rates and found that they were significantly higher in rural countries compared to urban ones. And even in Sexual Assault Against Children, another Pennsylvania office of Children and Youth and Families Services found that rural counties had higher rates of sexual abuse on children as well. Combined, they had this major takeaway that While urban counties had higher rates of reporting, rural counties were actually suffering higher rates of sexual victimization. Now, in a more recent report, according to the statistics from a 2019 federal report on violent crime that was shared on the Rural Health Information Hub, rates of reported rape were 10% more frequent in communities of less than 10,000 people than in groupings of up to 100,000. And even percentages were similar to those in major metro areas of up to 250,000. The bottom line is that this is happening and in staggering amounts in rural communities. And eventually, someone will report, which will lead to conviction. Now, another personally held belief is that in rural areas, not as many perpetrators have money or access to high level lawyers to get them out of trouble. And so they will be imprisoned and many will seek aid in other arenas, including ministers. And so we are reached out to. Now, I can tell you that when I've received these kinds of phone calls, many times about kids that I had known from the community, For some strange reason, it seems like I'm always hearing it from a grandmother or an aunt uh, rather than the parent of the accused. I haven't figured out what's up with that. And that can really take you by surprise. Uh, But then there's the blow of the actual news about what they're facing. And it just completely leaves you bewildered. It's easy to find yourself in. And asking yourself even what you can do in this situation. You feel so unsure. But despite our feelings of inadequacy, unsureness, we're still called to respond. As Jesus said to Matthew 25, I was in prison and you came and visited me. So the question is, how do we do this? After all, I had no experience at Bible college with a unit on this stuff. Well, what experience I have gained over the last 10 years, I have found out a couple of things. Two truths in particular. First, you need to be ready to minister to a soul in need of the gospel. And second, you need to be ready to play some hardball. Both of these things we want to help you with. Starting with the first. We have to acknowledge that we have an unparalleled opportunity for speaking to somebody about the consequences of their sin and helping them make strides to breaking free from it. Additionally, you have the most captive audience, no pun intended, because they are free of so many distractions that normal teens have around them 24-7. And so to aid you in this journey, we have a free document that we're giving away that includes an in-depth Bible study for you to have on a visitation with an individual, as well as an additional 12 devotions for them to do on their own that encourage delving into scripture and doing some serious soul searching through journaling. All this and additional tips to you as a minister are available free by visiting the link tree in our account. And we'll tell you more about that at the end of the episode and how you can find it. But what about that second part? That's where we're going to spend the majority of this episode, is how do you prepare yourself to minister in these situations? Well, I have five tips that I want to share with you all today. They're just a few. By no means is everything that I can say on the matter. I'd really encourage you to check out the resource we provide at the end of this episode, but here are at least the five largest that I've come to find out. The first of them is this. You need to know and follow the prison rules. I'll let you know that it's not as simple as walking into the Mayberry Jail and talking to the individual sitting in the cells. You might find yourself having to leave the county just to see some kid wherever they are being held. And it would really suck if you go all the way there only to find out that your visit isn't going to happen because you didn't do enough investigating. Here are a few things to consider. First, what's the timeline for this individual? Is there a chance that they'll be moving facilities? If so, you better figure out when and where because you don't want to waste your gas. Second, When and how long are visitations? Are they allowed so many a day? And is there a chance that there are different times available for ministers? This in particular I found valuable to when they use up their limited amount of time on the one visitation day open to the public a week. You can still get in at another time during the week and not have to fight family for their limited time to see the loved one. Also, what methods of communication are open to the prisoner? Written letters, phone calls, even texting is now a thing. So get the appropriate information such as phone numbers and addresses that you can write to them at. Also, what do you need to do to be approved to be put on a visitor or call list? Often you have to get this cleared through a prison official, an attorney, or even the family. Um, Make sure that you get that done so your efforts are not in vain. What kind of documentation do you need to bring with you on the visit to prove that you are who you say you are? And see if you can supply them with anything, whether it's writing materials, books, or even money for the commissary. My second piece of advice to you would be to not dilly-dally about getting to them or to draw out your visits to multiple sessions before you start getting serious. I would say you really need to strike while the iron is hot i found that people will talk and will confess when they're in hot water, but not when they think that they have a chance to get off. If they've had too much time with lawyers, that might be enough for them to have already been groomed with the advice to keep their mouth shut and will possibly have them even start changing the focus of every conversation that you have with them to pointing blame elsewhere. I would encourage you in your initial visit to get to the roots of the individual's problem while they are still open and vulnerable. Don't fill your time with shallow conversations like how the food is. You can save that conversation for a follow-up phone call another time. Take advantage of talking with these individuals as soon as possible and as seriously as you can up front. third piece of advice, is don't get used. Honestly, the chances of this kid being innocent are slim. And I don't mean that to sound insensitive because I myself as a teen was accused of heinous things that I never did, and we know that false accusations and is itself a growing trend. But if they're in prison for more than an evening, that means that there must be some serious evidence to support the charge. And if this is your case and you're spending time with a kid that isn't confessing of any kind of sin, Let me tell you, it's not worth your time. Here's why I say that. If this kid is indeed a predator, then they're likely very intelligent and charismatic. And your perception of the individual matters to them. Whether it's because they just desire to be thought of highly, even though their situation has landed them in prison and they're claiming to be innocent, or they're hoping that they can get some kind of help from you. Maybe your extended time spent with them would hopefully be seen as a judge as a reason to assign a lighter punishment. Your time with them is valuable, but possibly not for the right reasons. Whatever those reasons are, don't let them use you, which is exactly what is going to happen if they aren't repenting. Another example could even be someone who may be repenting slightly, but they're not honoring your time by wanting to talk about specifics of their sin or trying to study God's word. They're just looking for friendly hangout time, thus making you a commodity for their consumption, being a consumer rather than a contributor to the value of your visit. This is something to be aware of. Number four, don't get deceived. This is sort of an extension to the last one, but it goes in a different way. Again, it comes back to the selfishness of the accused. And it can happen with somebody who's open to you or maybe somebody who's completely reserved. Either way, you can have somebody who lies to you. I'll skip the reasons why somebody would bother doing this. But it should be obvious that anyone that is being anything other than honest with you, is probably wasting your time for that reason it's important to know how to spot a person lying and lovingly call them out on it even giving them an ultimatum that if you want to continue to meet you need them to be as transparent as you are with them here are a few key identifiers first they may repeat words and phrases This could be done for a variety of reasons. Either first, just convince themselves of a story. Or second, to buy them time as they're coming up with what they want to tell you. Second, you may have to repeat requests to answer a specific question. For example, I'll have a young man who's telling me about something. And I ask them to clarify. And they keep going on with the story and telling me about something else. And I have to stop them. I said, hey, I asked who was there with you? You never answered that. Can you tell me who was there? And maybe even then they're going to kind of like say, oh, some of my friends are like, no, who exactly was there? This is often a sign that they're trying to reserve information. Something similar to that is they may also provide too much information, giving excess of unnecessary details as a smokescreen to the fact that they're withholding other crucial details. I've seen that one a lot. A different thing is you may notice unnatural body movement. Uh, None of these are 100% foolproof and they could be different for individuals, like instinctively covering vulnerable body parts with their hands, shuffling nervously, or being extremely still, rigid like a deer in the headlights, or even changing their head position quickly. As I said, none of these are foolproof signs, but you can still notice that their behavior is not natural or comfortable, and this body movement may be a sign of them not being honest with you one other major body sign is indifference. If you see someone shrugging, lacking expression, acting like they have this bored posture, it can be a sign that they're lying because they're trying to avoid conveying possible tells or a middle of guilt. So be aware of these things so that you're not taken and maybe even find yourself having your time wasted. Lastly, I would tell you to expect the possibility of being let down. Listen, the home life of many individuals growing up may have been without much in the way of teaching personal disciplines and goal settings, which in turn can foster a lack of action regarding that individual's responsibilities post-prison. They may break parole just by ignoring court-imposed limitations on activity or by skipping mandatory counseling Or they could do something worse, like running with the wrong crowd again. And it's very easy for an individual to end up back in jail. This can be really disappointing if you've spent a great deal of personal time investing in them and going to court dates and making appearances. But don't let that keep you from offering help to the next kid. Remember that this comes down to an individual's decision to commit to the Lord's will. But that's not your decision to make. We should coach them and encourage them and tell them to put up a good fight when it comes to checking in with their officers and counselors, following the rules, doing their counseling homework, and most importantly, building good spiritual practices. We should be like our Savior, who was written about in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. But at the end of all that, remember that there are others out there who need your guidance. And if you allow the shock of an individual's failure to consume you, then you yourself will be failing those who are counting on you. So be ready and able, as well as willing to say that you did your best, and that is all you can do that is all that i have for you guys today we want to thank you for listening to the show and as a thanks we want to give you some free resources as always we suggest checking out our link tree which is forward slash small town youth ministry podcast and a link to it is in the show notes as well as on our facebook and instagram bio sections you can get tons of great stuff including games lessons and the resources we spoke about today it's absolutely free, so go grab it and use it today in your ministry. And make sure you check back each month to see what other good things have been added. If for some reason the link tree isn't working for you, contact us, or even if you just want to get in touch with some more questions, we encourage you to email us at smalltownyouthmenpodcast at gmail.com. That's smalltownyouthmen, M I N, podcast at gmail.com. Our next episode will be the last one for the podcast, and we're planning to make it extra special. To do so, we want to take our time and not rush this, especially around the holidays. So we will be dropping it after the new year. We hope to bring you something really special and some great content as well as we talk about one last big subject. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening. God bless.